Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And didn't Melanie give us a great introduction to this uh, just outstanding chapter? In fact, when we say Hebrews 11, that may just ring a bell in, in your mind, in your heart, because this is a chapter that Christians love to read. As Melanie said, it's often called uh, the roll call of faith. And the reason for that is that the word faith appears 28 times here. Uh, the chapter goes through person after person after person, and it commends them for their faith. If you just, um, if you just look, it, it says in verse 4, by faith Abel, and it describes something he did. Verse 5, by faith Enoch. Verse 7, by faith Noah. Verse 8, by faith Abraham. Verse 24, by faith Moses. Uh, verse 30, it talks about the fall of the walls around Jericho. This is the roll call of faith. But church, I believe the chapter is, is really primarily about something else. It is about faith. It begins with a definition of faith. It is a chapter about faith. But I think more than just a chapter about faith, this is a chapter about being approved. The, the whole subject matter, the whole question of the chapter, are we approved? Does God approve of us? Now you, you know what it means to be approved. Maybe you have uh, bought a house and so you go to a mortgage company or you go to the bank and you fill out an application and, and you tell them everything there is to know about you and they go in a room and they close the door and, and you just wait for them to come out and say, you are approved to buy this house. I remember when uh, my family was adopting uh, my youngest daughter, Ray, it was about eight years ago, and at least then the adoption process for China, especially for an older child in China, was just so complicated. We had to get just a ton of approvals. A uh, group uh, or a person really had to come out and interview my whole family first to see if we were approved psychologically. And that one was really close, but uh, we, we finally got past that one. And then they came and inspected our house. They had to see if our house was approved. And then we had to go through a financial process. Are we approved financially? And then the, the group that was taking us through all of this was a faith-based group. And so there was a, a process where they approved our faith. And we, we were on pins and needles for some of these. Some of that was very complicated, waiting to see if we were approved, if we were qualified to do what it was we wanted to do. This is a chapter really about whether or not God approves. Do you have the approval of the Lord? And the answer to the question, how do we have the approval of God? The answer is faith. And so it's a chapter about faith, but, but faith is really the answer to the question, how can we be approved by the Lord? So look with me in verse 1, and we're going to focus right at the end of the chapter, but, but look at verse 1, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Now notice verse 2 then, for by it, by faith, our ancestors won God's approval. It says our ancestors, those that are mentioned here in this chapter, those that we look to in the Old Testament, those people were approved by God. And why were they approved? Because of their faith. They had solid faith. They had biblical faith. And so they were, they were approved. 
Now, turn over and look at verse 4. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man. And so here's another uh, Bible story, another historical account, faith and Abel. I'm sorry, uh, Abel and Cain. And Abel was approved. God approved Abel. And why did he approve Abel? Because Abel had the right faith. Look down to verse, um, well, verse five. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. So how, why was Enoch approved? Because he had faith. In fact, if you look at the next verse, now, without faith, it says, it is impossible to please God. How are we approved? We are approved by our faith. God approves us, or he doesn't approve us, based on our faith, our faith in God. So Hebrews chapter 11 is, is really the story of how person after person, men and women, uh, heroes from the Old Testament, how these people had Biblical faith, they trusted the Lord, and because of that, God approved them. And so I want to walk through and just let you see some of these stories. Uh, look at verse 7. We'll start there, and what I want you to see is, is really how God showed his approval. So are these people approved? Well, we're going to see that they are. Why are they approved? They're approved by their faith. Now, how does God demonstrate? How does God show that they're approved? And we'll look at three or four examples out of uh, more than a dozen here. Verse 7 says, By faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, he built an ark to deliver his family. And so Noah uh, was uh, in a living in a difficult time and, and, and there was such sin that God was going to judge the earth and everybody was going to die in a great flood. Uh, but God told Noah that if he would build this ark, that he would be rescued. And so Noah had faith in God. He trusted God. He built the ark. And then how did God show his approval to Noah? Noah survived the flood. Noah and his family survived the flood. God gave them a victory over this calamity because God was showing that he was approved, that Noah was approved, and he was approved because of his faith. Now, let's, uh, let's look at verse 29. It says, uh, here, here's talking about Moses. Uh, it says, by faith, they, Moses and the Israelites, crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. And when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. So here's another situation. Moses is leading the people of Israel. They have uh, begun to leave ex, uh, Egypt. It's the Exodus. And they come to the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is behind them. Uh, they don't know what to do. They, they can't really fight, but they trust the Lord. And the Lord, because they trusted him, because they had faith in him, God approves of them, and the evidence of God's approval is that God divides the Red Sea, and they're able to go across to safety. So you see, were they approved? They were approved, yes, because of their faith. And how did God show, how did God demonstrate that they were approved? He gave them this great, great miracle. 
Look at verse 30. It says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. Now these are stories most, most of us are familiar with. I, I just want you to see this pattern. Uh, here are the uh, Joshua is leading the nation of Israel and they're headed into the promised land. There's a great enemy there. They don't know how they're going to defeat this enemy. God says, march around Jericho uh, for seven days and gives them some specific instructions. They wouldn't have seen to have made a lot of sense so far as military tactics are concerned. But uh, Joshua and the people had faith in God. And they had faith in God, so God approved them because of their faith. And then God demonstrated his approval by doing what? By tearing down the walls, by tearing down the walls. So you see, how were they approved? By faith. How did God demonstrate that? God gave them a great victory. Now, look at verse 32, and it's interesting. Uh, the writer of Hebrews goes through all these different people and tells their story. He's getting to the end of the chapter, uh, and there's just so many more stories to tell. So he just sums up a bunch of them right here. Verse 32 says, and what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign enemies to flight. Women, verse 35, received their dead raised to life again. Now we'll pause there. So we see more of the same. Were these people approved? Did they have the approval of God? Yes. How did they, how were they approved? Because they had faith, biblical faith. How did God demonstrate that he approved of them? He gave them some great victory. And you see a number of them, number of them listed here. But when we come to the middle of verse 35, there's really a change in tenor here. I think the most important part of this chapter is not how it begins, but how it ends. Things really begin to change right in the middle of verse 35. And I, and I want you to see this because it's, it, it's key to understanding how it is that we're approved by God. This is a, it's the key to understanding this whole chapter. So we're going to pick up in the middle of verse 35. We've just seen all these people, how they put their faith in God. God has demonstrated his approval by giving them a great victory. But in the middle of verse 35, the Bible says other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. It says other people were tortured because of their faith. They didn't have a victory. They had torture because of their faith. And these people, he says, could have been released. They could have avoided the torture if they would have only said uh, that God was not real. If they would have only worshiped the pagan gods, they could have been released, but they refused. And so they were, they were tortured. You see the change? This isn't victory. This is pain. Look at verse 36. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on the mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Do you see the difference? Now, what was wrong with these people? Well, what was wrong with their faith? They didn't get the victory that Noah got. They didn't get the victory that, 
that Daniel received when, when God shut the mouths of the lions. They didn't get the victory that, that Joseph uh, uh, received, uh, Joshua rather, received when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. So what was wrong with their faith? Had God accepted them? Were they approved? Well, look at the next verse, verse 39. It says, all these were approved through their faith. So they were approved just the same as the other ones, but they did not receive what was promised. I think in this passage, we see three really important truths uh, that especially in this time of crisis, we need to understand. And some of these, uh, frankly, will be difficult to listen to. And I've thought and prayed about this this week. Uh, some of these uh, will run the risk of me being misunderstood. So please listen closely. But I think we, from this account, we learn some very important principles that will guide us in this time of, uh, of difficulty in this, in this pandemic. So the first one is, is this. Sometimes God's people suffer. Do you know that? Sometimes God's people suffer. I won't read it again, but we just looked at verses 35, 36, 37, 38, 39. We've seen that they were tortured, that they were sawed in two, that they died by the sword, that they were stoned to death. Sometimes people suffer. And it doesn't matter how many sermons Joel Osteen or Kenneth Copeland may preach on how if you follow the Lord, everything will be fine. The truth of scripture says that sometimes, oftentimes, Christians will suffer. The true measure of our faith is that our faith is strong even in the midst of suffering. When you hear someone say that, that if you love God, life will be easy, you should know that that is not a biblical message. Look at the prophets, the prophets of old. Most of them were executed because of their faith. Look at the apostles in the New Testament. Most of those died because of their faith. Look at Jesus himself. Look at those who spread the gospel in the first and the second and the third centuries. Many of those people uh, were, were executed because of their faith. Sometimes people suffer. I have heard too many sermons on the first three-fourths of Hebrews chapter 11 that just missed the whole point. I've heard the sermons that if you just have faith, you'll have victory. If you just have faith, the walls will come down. If you just have faith, you will not die of cancer. If you just have faith, you will have plenty of money. If you just have faith, your marriage will always be strong. If you just have faith, your kids will always walk the straight path. No, we can't stop halfway through Hebrews chapter 11. We have to read the whole thing. We are approved by God because of our faith, but that doesn't mean that it's always demonstrated in our life. God's approval is not always demonstrated by giving us a great victory. Sometimes people suffer. Now, that's easy enough to understand. Let's look at the second, second important principle. Hardships, hardships in life are tests. Look at verse 39 again. He says, all of these were approved through their faith. They were approved. That means that there, was, that there was a test. They were tested. They went through a difficult time. They were tested. All of these people in Hebrews chapter 11, they were tested to see whether or not their faith was genuine. We are, we are approved by our faith and a hardship is a, test, is a test of our faith. 
You cannot measure faith in the easy times. You measure faith when things are hard. Think about that. You, you, you can't know the truth, the strength of your faith when everything's easy. The only way, the only time you'll truly know the, the, the strength of your faith is when, is when life is, is hard. If I were trying to measure my strength, how much weight I can lift with my arm, how, how could I do that? Well, if I had a two-pound weight up here, could I measure the strength of my arm with a two-pound weight? No, because I could pick it up pretty easily, and so could you. And so how strong am I? How much weight can I lift? Well, I, I don't know. The only way to really know how much weight I can lift with my arm is to have an, a set of increasingly heavier weights. And I lift up the two pound, and I lift up the five pound, and the 10 pound, and, and I keep going until I can't lift it anymore. And, and I've, I've tested my muscles. I've put them under strain. I have weights that are, that are greater than my muscle's strength, and that's how I would know how strong my muscle is. How, how do we know how strong our faith is? It, we, we have to go through some hard times. You think about love. You know, you, if you're married, you, you love your husband, you love your wife. How, how can you know how strong that love is? You know, you can't really measure love when everything is fine. When, when it's just, you know, everything is, uh, you know, I love you and you love me and everything's happy and there are no problems. It's really hard to know what is the strength of your love. But you go through some hard times, then you know how strong, how strong your love is. Uh, my wife and I, I believe uh, God's given us a strong love uh, for each other. Uh, but we didn't know that in the beginning. Uh, but a couple of years, actually about one year into our marriage, I was uh, pastoring a church and I invited a black person to come. So one man came to the church with a gun to shoot me. <laughs> Uh, the deacons had a meeting to fire me. How dare I invite a black person to church? And I remember my wife and I, through about a two or three week period, things were so hard, they were so scary, we wouldn't have had any money. Uh, we, we, you know, I don't know what the future of our ministry would have been, and we were trusting the Lord, but, but it was a hard time. But our love lasted, and we knew it was strong. It was uh, just a year or two after that that... Uh, the doctors told my wife that she'd probably never be able to have children. I remember that was hard. We, had to, we went to a doctor a few hours from our home and so we had to drive back in a, in, in a car and it was silent all the way back except for, you know, except for the sobs. We were so disappointed. But our love, we still loved each other. You know, it, it, it tested our love. Uh, a few years after that, you're going to think my life has been horrible and, and really the Lord's given me such a, such a good and an easy life. But, uh, but a few years after that, my house burned down. And then the insurance company, uh, for about a month or about six weeks, said, we're not going to cover it because there uh, was an error in the kind of insurance you bought. And we were living, uh, my wife, me and my wife and two babies, living in one room in, in a friend's basement thinking that, uh, that we may have just lost, lost a house and, and every possession. And, and in every one of those cases, the Lord provided, right? Uh, the church uh, didn't fire me or shoot me, and uh, we experienced a great revival there, and um, uh, God's blessed us with three children, and, 
And the insurance company paid for the house. In fact, they paid for a lot nicer house than I had before it burned down. So, so the Lord provided, but it was in those times that we were able to see the strength of the love that we have. Any one of those things could have torn our marriage apart, but, but it didn't because under pressure, we were able to see our love was strong. So how do you know, how do you know that your faith is strong? Well, it is, it is in times when things are hard. It's, it's times like this. In, in this pandemic, there's, there, there's so many more difficulties in following the Lord and being faithful to the Lord and, and worshiping online or worshiping in, in, on campus. And, and, and so it's in these times when there are difficulties that we truly discover the measure of our faith. God approves us by our faith. How strong is our faith? We find out in the hard times. Can I tell you what pastors, what pastors are talking about just behind the scenes? Uh, I, I talk to a few pastors every week, just maybe locally and so, some close friends uh, that the Lord's given me here in Nacogdoches, pastors, and then uh, just friends I've had through the years around the country. And, and so pastors talk, as you, you can imagine, uh, every week I, I talk to some pastors and there's, there's a question that, that, we're, that we're asking. There's something that we continue to talk about. And here it is. We're wondering if we have just lost, I mean, across the nation, if we have just lost half of our church. You know, every church, the attendance looks, uh, percentage-wise, looks like our church. And, and pastors are beginning to wonder uh, if this is something more uh, than just an appropriate concern about health, uh, could it be that people are just walking away from their faith? And so, you know, every pastor is sort of taking an informal poll and asking careful questions to try to figure out how many people are really engaged online. And that's such a hard number to pin down. And so we're wondering, have we lost half the church across the country? So let's say we have. Let's say we've lost, every church has lost some, some percentage, half or more, or maybe less. Uh, how do we see that through a theological lens? What, what does the Bible say about that? Well, let me tell you. The Bible says that the church never shrinks. The true church the church, the people who are, who are truly following the Lord, the true church never, never shrinks. You see that theologically, you see that historically. When hard times come, the true church does not get smaller. When hard times come, church attenders get sifted. You know what I mean by that? Sifted when you separate the wheat from the chaff. What happens when hard times come is it doesn't destroy people's faith. It, it, it exposes people's faith. And so you see at the end of that, that, that not that people have lost their faith, but it's, it's clear that some, some never, never had faith. And so here's what pastors, here's what pastors know. We are not when this whole pandemic situation is over in two months or six months or two years, I don't know how long it'll be and nobody does. But when this is over, we're not going to see how small our churches have become. We're going to see how small our churches were all along. Does that make sense? This, this is not shrinking the church, it's, it's revealing the church. I really think this is a 1 John 2.19 situation. 
I, I think we have this verse on the screen. I may not have mentioned this to them, but if we, just listen to it. The, the Bible says they went out from us. There it is. Good. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. It's talking about people who fall away, people not who go from one church to another, but people who just walk away from the faith. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. They never were a part of us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. What's the surest way of knowing that your faith is genuine? It lasts. It says, however, they went out so that it might be made clear, might be made manifest, that none of them belong to us. And so it says when the difficulty comes, people don't lose their faith, but what happens is that, is that the faith, the faithlessness uh, is, is exposed. Now, I, I know that there are health concerns, and I'm gonna address that in a, in a moment. I, I do want to say something about that, but let, let me, before I do that, let me talk about this from another vantage point. I was reading this week an article that uh, cited statistics from the American Bible Society and Barna Research Group. And so these two groups, they come together and they continually monitor through polls and surveys and, 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 and different instruments like that. They continually monitor how many people in America are engaged in, with their Bible. How many people at home are reading their Bible? And they've got some definitions of what counts and what doesn't count, but they monitor that. And they keep, a, they keep track of it. And you can go to the website and you can see every, every week, you know, is it a little up or a little down? How many people in America are engaged with their Bibles? Since the beginning of the pandemic, by the way, that number usually doesn't change very much. But since the beginning of the pandemic, the, the percentage of people in America who at least report that they're engaged with the scriptures, reading the Bible at home, has gone from 27.8% of Americans to 22.6% of Americans. That works out to 13.1 million people in America who said six months ago that they were in the Bible every day, but who say now in the midst of this pandemic that they are not reading their Bibles, 13.1 million people. Now, how do, you, how do we explain that? How do we explain people walking away from their faith in the, in the middle of this, this pandemic? Well, I think the explanation is this. When life is hard, people embrace what they truly trust. When life is hard, you find out what's really in a person. When marriage is hard, you find out the strength of a marriage. When, when, when a person is under stress, you find out the peace, whether there's real peace in their heart. And, and, and when life is, is, is hard and difficult, people will run to that which they, which they trust. And so according to this statistic, one out of every five Christians in America who was reading the Bible faithfully six months ago one in five have abandoned the Bible, have abandoned the Lord, and have demonstrated that their ultimate trust is just not in the Lord. Not in the Lord. You see, when we go through difficult times, it tests us and it reveals our faith. And we've all heard, we've all heard stories, missionary stories. Don't you like to hear stories from missionaries that uh, sometimes can share just extraordinary events. Uh, so we've heard stories of people in China in the underground church who will sneak out in the middle of the night and evade the authorities and, and go to church risking 
their lives, but they must gather with believers and worship. And they take those great risks. Uh, I, I know when I, when I would preach in Kenya a few years ago uh, on Sunday, so there would be a Sunday worship just as, as, as there is here. And, and so many of the families that came, that come to weekly Sunday worship and in the area that I was in, in, in Kenya, those families would get up on Saturday morning and they would walk all day long through the jungle in order to be there for church. And we would have church and then they would race back home Sunday. It would take all day long for them to get home. It would be dark when they arrived. But they were committed. See, the difficulty, I think, sifted them. The difficulty showed their, their faithfulness. It's estimated that in North Korea, 300,000 people risk their lives every week to attend secret churches. In Somalia, uh, Christians uh, found gathered for worship by the Al-Shabaab group, which really now runs Somalia, are summarily executed. It happens every single week, yet they're faithful to meet. In India, I, I could go on a whole, whole list of um, examples. You've heard the stories. So here, here's the application. I mean, we, we see that when hard times come, it tests our faith. It reveals the, the, the truth of our faith. So there are a lot of different ways we can apply this, but, but let me talk about COVID and the, the pandemic and, and church. Listen, if you have a health vulnerability, you're older, there's some underlying health problem that you're dealing with, or you are living with somebody or taking care of somebody that has one of those problems, you should stay home. You shouldn't feel bad about it. You shouldn't feel like you're less of a Christian. You shouldn't feel like you're not committed to your church. You should stay home. You should worship online. You should find ways to be faithful to the Lord, but that's exactly what you should do. You should stay home. But listen, church, if that's not the case for you, you need to come to church. You need to be here. If you're going to 10 other places and you're involved in 10 other activities, but you don't go to church because it's optional, then that's wrong. If church is the last thing on your list that you're willing to go back to and not the first thing on your list that you're willing to go back to, then that is wrong. See, when difficulties come, it's showing us, each of us, me and you, something about the truth and the reality and the strength of our, of our faith. This is our time of testing. And when we look back on this COVID season, listen to this, church. When we look back on this in, in three months or a year, when we look back on this time, we will either see it as a time that our faith was strengthened or we will see it as a time that our faithlessness was exposed. Every one of us, we will see it as a time that COVID pandemic season, my faith was strengthened. Or we'll look back on it and say it was in that time that my faith, faithlessness was exposed. You see, a hardship, when it's inconvenient, that's a, that's a test of our faith. That's the test of our faith. And, and then finally, we await a greater resurrection. I don't know if you saw, if you noticed the phrase back up in verse 35, it's an odd thing to say. Let's just read the whole verse again. It says, women receive their dead, raised to life again. So that talks about uh, women whose uh, children, uh, young or old, had died for, for some reason, doesn't tell us why. And these mothers prayed 
that God would bring their children back to life. And God did. So it says, women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. It says, so some people, they prayed and God, God showed his kindness to them and brought their children back to life. Others, it, it did not happen. And, and, and why did those people who, who didn't experience the victory, who didn't see God's hand moving in some miraculous way, why were those people faithful? Why did they continue to be faithful? Well, it says right here, so that they might gain a better, a greater resurrection. Now, what's a greater resurrection? Now, if, if I had a child had died and the child came back to life, I can't think of anything greater than that. Well, there is something greater than that, right? Because even if a, even if a dead person is resurrected, that's just temporary, right? I mean, all the dead people that have been resurrected, what's happened to them? They all died again. I mean, you can't go see Lazarus today, right? I mean, he was resurrected and that was wonderful and it, and it showed the power of God and, and I'm sure everybody celebrated, but just a few more years, he just died again. They just put him right back in there and he's been there ever since, at least his body. So, so these earthly blessings are just temporal, even the greatest blessings. But we await a greater a greater resurrection. We, we look to eternal life. That's what we're living for. It says here in verse 35 that these people could have been freed from their torture if they would have just jettisoned their faith, but they refused. They wouldn't recant. They wouldn't hold back because they were looking for a, for a greater resurrection. It, it really reminds me of the story in, in Daniel chapter 3. And if I had another hour, I would I would walk you through this, but in Daniel chapter three, uh, some, some people have been, have been exiled uh, to, uh, to Babylon, and they have uh, a new ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, he's a wicked man and served a pagan god, and, and these young, young Jewish men uh, had been faithful to the one true living God all their lives, and so now they find themselves in this foreign environment, and Nebuchadnezzar said, I want you to worship the same gods that I worship, these pagan gods. He said, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my band together and they're gonna play some music and when they play the music, you're to bow down and worship. And if you don't, I've got this fiery furnace. Do you know this story? If you don't, I will throw you in the furnace. And so he plays the music, everybody bows down except for three, three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the king brings them in, Nebuchadnezzar brings them in. He says, listen, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to play the music and you can bow and everything's fine. But if you refuse to bow, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. There it is. It's, it's hot. It's ready. It's ready for you. And so uh, the, the three men spoke as, as one and, and said, we, we trust that God will rescue us. We're not scared of your furnace. We trust that God will, will rescue us. Then they said this, verse 18. I'm skipping a verse, uh, guys. But Daniel chapter 3, verse 18. They said, but even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Well, what they said is, we believe God will protect us. We believe God will keep us safe and healthy and unburned. But even if he doesn't, we're looking for a greater resurrection. We're, we're living for something more than this. I mean, we, we want to have all the blessings of life. Sure, all of us do. 
But the blessing we're really living for is one, that, one that's not found in, in this life. I don't know if you've ever heard the name William Borden, B-O-R-D-E-N. Uh, you're probably familiar with his, uh, with his milk company, right? Borden Milk Company. Uh, it's a large company here in America, but in, its, um, in the early 20th century, it was one of the largest American companies. Well, William Borden, uh, he was the heir of all of that. All of it was going to become his. Uh, he graduated from Yale in 1909. Uh, he had a life of luxury and power before, before him. Uh, but he became a Christian. He heard of Christ. And he found forgiveness for his sin. And so he told his parents that he was, under the direction of God, now going to give his life to bringing the gospel to the Muslims. So he, he refused to spend the money that had been given to him. He, he wouldn't even buy a car. He gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to missions in the early 20th century. And he went to Egypt to begin to to witness to the Muslims. After only four months witnessing to the Muslims in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died at the age of 25. So someone asked him right before he passed away what he thought about his decision to go to Egypt and give up his life of luxury. And according to, to tradition, he he just said two words, no regrets. You see, I, our approval from the Lord, because of the work of Christ, because we trust Christ, but the approval of the Lord is because of our faith. Because of our faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. When we go through hard times, we see the truth of our faith let us be those who live for the greater resurrection. Just so your head bowed and eyes closed. Uh, Father, in, Father in heaven, I, I know these are unprecedented times. That's become a cliche even in the last two months. And, and different people have different circumstances. And, and certainly their, their wise response to these circumstances will be very different. Their appropriate response will be very different. But Father... I pray that you'll make for each one of us worshiping you, coming together and worshiping you, our, our highest priority. I pray that you'll help us to understand that it's in difficult times that we find out the validity and the strength of our faith. Father, help us not to do something foolish or unwise, but help us to have the kind of trust those Christians have in North Korea. Help us to have the kind of trust that William Borden had. Help us to have the kind of trust that we read in the last few verses of Hebrews chapter 11. And may you be honored by our faith in hard times. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.